interest in the following audio recording produced by Chesterton House, a center for Christian studies at Cornell University. Support for Chesterton House comes entirely from listeners like you, and we invite you to help us continue making the recordings of past lectures available at no cost through a donation to the ministry. You can find additional resources and make a donation at www.chestertonhouse.org. This audio recording is copyrighted and unauthorized duplication is prohibited. If we understand scriptural stories to precede the ongoing story prior to, contingent with, uh, and following our story, have you insight into why this story? Why not some other story? What about evil? The story of evil. There are those who understand the scriptures to teach that God foreordains our scriptural fate for good or ill. Um, ultimately. Uh, now, there's about 10 questions in there. Uh, and if there are 10 questions, there's at least 20 answers worth talking about. Um, first things first, I, I do think the relationship between God's sovereignty and our responsibility is affirmed time and again in the scriptures. Uh, another time and another place, I'd say uh, we need to emphasize uh, human responsibility more. Uh, but that's not our time. Ours is a time when we must more fully emphasize God's uh, will, right? the divine uh, uh, being. Uh, that God's sovereign character is, uh, is, is too often lost uh, for us. Uh, and that uh, we do need to recover the sense in which there, are, uh, there is an overarching narrative to history that God has written. Uh, but because I know some of you are nervous, and because Americans generally don't like that, right? it's my choice. Uh, it, it's a... It's, it rubs us the wrong way. I, I think that's a good indication that it's probably true, uh, that God is sovereign. Uh, on the other hand, there's always another hand, isn't there? Uh, for long, you lose the other hands. But um, we, we cannot lose sense that we are really responsible, that it's a fundamental reality of life. I think that's what it happens there in Genesis 3. Um, to the question... Um, when, when, when Joseph says, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Who's responsible for this grand story that led uh, Joseph into prison? Was it the brothers or was it God? Yes. Yes. Uh, 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 the church has claimed for better than uh, two millennium that uh, uh, there are actually individual human authors to this text. You can see there... Uh, the reflection of their temperaments. You can read the difference between Isaiah and Jeremiah or between Luke and Matthew. We were talking about earlier this morning. And that God wrote this book. Now, which is it? Is, it, is this Matthew's gospel or is it, is it God's? Yes. Uh, is Jesus actually... Of course, here's the theological framework in the background, isn't it? You, you could see it coming, right? Is Jesus really God or is he really human? And I would so suggest, following the work of uh, several others here, uh, that 
if you start with a list of what it means to be human and then start with another list of what it means to be divine and then ask how in the world could Jesus be both, you'll never come up with an answer. But if, in fact, if you start with Jesus, who is the God-man, it makes sense of our humanity and God's godness. So it's a, it's a working from the inside out rather than from the outside in. It's a, it's a, a different, if you will, uh, uh, angle uh, here. So um, I look back on my life, as you probably look back on your life, and I, I can say on occasion that was God's hand at work. Uh, but it never removes me from having to say to God honestly, you know, I screwed up. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm for, I need your forgiveness. That is, seeing God's hand at work does not remove my responsibility. Uh, but neither does my choice mean that God's sitting on the sidelines waiting for me to make a decision. Uh, holding those together, it seems to me, has been the great tradition of Christianity across the ages. Is there mystery? Yes, there's plenty of mystery. But there's some clear truths here that this is God's story, that we are fully responsible. So what about evil? Uh, this is an easy one to get by, isn't it? Right? I mean, Christians haven't been asking this for very long. Uh, Job wasn't really concerned about it either, I guess. This is one of those perennial issues that is profound. I'm I'm more persuaded the more you think about this, the more the gospel itself is illuminated. So it's not one of those dead-end questions that you're never going to find an answer to. If you really press it, you finally find that only the gospel, only the gospel is a satisfying answer. But uh, the gospel is terribly mysterious. Is God just in bringing the full weight of punishment upon his son for you and I? Is God merciful that his own son would die? But somehow the gospels proclaim, as do the epistles, that justice and mercy meet on the cross. And it's this remarkable, mysterious relationship of justice and mercy that makes sense of evil. Yes. Amen. And I think that... Uh, the church makes this move very quickly that Jesus is the living God. Precisely because of this point. Uh, that uh, Jesus has not died a martyr's death. Now, he has died a martyr's death. He's resisted the status quo. Uh, the Romans don't like Jesus because he's a threat to their authority. The uh, Jewish authorities, of some, in some quarters, he's a threat to them. He's also a threat to the crowds. But who, above all the group, misunderstands Jesus? It's those who follow him most closely, the disciples. Right. Peter says to Jesus right after, the, the only time in the Gospels anyway that I can see, that Peter gets it right. When Jesus asks him, who, who do you say that I am? 
And Peter says, you are the son of the living God, right? The Christ, the Messiah. Jesus says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Peter, right? On this rock, I will build my church. And you have this sense, gosh, Peter, that's terrific. Immediately in the next pericope, that is in the next passage uh, there in Matthew 16, Peter says to Jesus, when Jesus says, the Son of Man must come and suffer and die, Peter says, not my Messiah, right? not my Lord. Right? I'm protecting my Lord. Right? And Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Right? Here's the one who gave up everything. He gave up family, gave up his trade, gave up his home to follow Jesus. And here at the pinnacle uh, act before the cross, Peter gets it wrong, entirely wrong. In fact, Peter's denial is far more perverse at one level uh, than Judas's. It's interesting, in, in Matthew and in Luke in particular, we follow Judas and Peter together. Uh, we forgive Peter. We don't forgive Judas. Now, I, I think there's some, some truth to that. But the, the point is that often those closest get it wrong. Uh, and the point Judas, I mean, the point Peter got wrong uh, was that God, his God, does not die. Uh, that is the hope of resurrection. Without death, that God's death, the grave, is not defeated. I wouldn't have done it this way, as I say time and again, right? If I were God, I'd just get rid of the grave or get rid of you, you know, or something like that. Uh, but God, the strange, mysterious God, takes death to himself and gives life. Uh, and so I do think that we ought not lose sight of, this is another uh, episode, lose sight of the language of the law courts to think about the death of Jesus. And I think it's being diminished in many quarters, and wrongly so, and I think there's great uh, uh, caution. That is the language of, of uh, punishment, the language of guilt being laid on Jesus. All of that, I think, is, is uh, entirely appropriate. But there's a whole host of other angles into what's going on at the cross that we ought not miss as well. Uh, there is, there's really something mysterious going on as time and eternity meet in this one moment, right? So that at the, the death of Jesus, uh, Matthew records this for us most explicitly, uh, uh, there is this cosmic upheaval, and the graves give up their dead. It's a really profoundly strange uh, uh, story, actually. Uh, and, and that it becomes night, uh, the earthquakes, this whole sense in which there is a cosmic death and new life in Jesus' death. Now, how do you explain that? Boy, I, you know, uh, I think it actually is a kind of creation, recreation uh, mix. Uh, and uh, uh, oftentimes, uh, what's going on in the cross and resurrection is an echo back to Genesis in reverse order. God's putting right what was subverted. Life that leads to death, now death leads to life. Uh, A strange mix, Uh, a way of saying sometimes I think our best uh, approach to the cross is to stand in awe. If we think we've got it figured out, We've got all the categories right. 
somehow we need to recognize how remarkable God's mercy is to us in the cross. Oh, my. <laughs> Likewise. The obvious first lesson is that God will be worshipped on his terms, not our terms. Um, there's some funny things along the way that we meet and why uh, Nadab and Abinahu are so profoundly judged for uh, the strange fire for touching the ark uh, at, at other times. We don't know the full story. I think there's lots more that will be filled in when we get there and see God face to face. But my suspicion is that there was uh, some, some uh, overt intentionality uh, to alter the way God had deemed it appropriate for Israel to come to him. 